Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I have to appreciate Steve Ashburner for hopping on with me. While a game is being played in the NBA playoffs, we'll just keep them for a couple of minutes. Steve, Jody Mack here. How you doing, bud? I'm good, Jody. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you for coming on. Um, I'm sure you, like me, uh, looking for updates uh, via Twitter for the people who were covering today's uh, Nets-Bucks game in Milwaukee. Does not look good for Kyrie Irving. Left the game on both crutches and with an an air boot, air cast on his uh, foot uh, after today's game. That's not usually a good sign. They did say the x-rays were negative, but... Uh, looks like there's a good chance the Nets are going to be down two of their ne- their superstar players uh, heading into Game Five against the Bucks. That's got to scare uh, Nets fans. Well, it's possible it could go that way, especially now. You know, we've, we've been uh, having a couple of days between games, but now it's uh, every other day uh, for Games Five and Six. So there's no extra recovery time. And um, you know, Nash said after the game that regardless of Kyrie's situation, he's not going to uh, have James Harden rush back if, if uh, Harden's not, you know, completely uh, capable with his hamstring strain um, because that could, that could go again. It could become a lingering thing. It could, you could end up with a compensating injury if, if he's not uh, running properly and hurt something else. So yeah, they've, they've, they've got a, a bit of a problem right now. Um, and I guess given how little they all played together during the regular season, um, that says something about how quickly or not quickly they, uh, they heal. So, you know, the Bucks have to feel good. They, they, they dug out of a very embarrassing situation after two games. Um, they used their home court. They were permitted to play physically today. And, you know, now they're the healthier team. Uh, as as they go to Brooklyn, uh, you know they don't want this thing to go seven if they can help it. They'd like to win and and uh, not not cry too much for who's not there for the Brooklyn Nets. What happened to Joe Harris? Uh, I've been watching the Nets for the last several years. At one point, he was arguably their best player as they were building this team up. He was the go-to guy, their best option on offense. He's still a very good three-point shooter, although he's not shooting it as well as series. But he's not giving them much of anything else either, and they need him to with uh, some of their star players being out. Why has Harris been so ineffective? Well, I think the Bucks are pretty uh, pretty aware of how lethal he can be when he is uh, hot and shooting from the arc. 
Um, I, you know, they, they, they've attended to him pretty well. I think there's a different dynamic, too, when, um, you know, you're not just a happy bonus if, if two or three of those stars are around. You're, you know, now you are expected to do things, and that, that, that changes the mentality as well where maybe, you know, maybe he feels, you know, a little more pressure. Maybe he presses a bit, um, you know, but, but I would have expected him. I was surprised, frankly, when I looked at the box score at the end of the game and saw that he only had eight shots. Um, that to me is, it, that makes no sense, but you know, I'll give credit to the Bucks defense on that, but they've got to figure a way whether, whether, uh, Irving Harden or both come back to play. They've got to figure a way for Harris to, uh, to make more of uh, to do more damage against Milwaukee because I mean, he was a part of things all season long. As you mentioned, when Durant and Harden and Kyrie are all out there, it's easy to be one of quote unquote, the other guys. Because you're yeah. not getting the attention of the defense, and you're going to get open looks, and where you're going to get chances to cut to the basket and make plays. Well, when that's not the case, the Browns of the world and the Greens of the world and the uh, Nate Claxtons of the world and Mike James of the world, all of a sudden the pressure gets raised on them. Sometimes it's easy to be one of the others when you need to be one of the contributors. That's when it gets tough, and it looks like some of the net guys coming up small. Well, and that's, you know, I mean, people always say in the playoffs in this league that your role players, they're, they're more likely to thrive at home. Uh, they have a tougher goal of it. Uh, and, and Milwaukee, I think, uh, can attest to this by what they were getting or not getting from their bench in the first two games compared particularly in game four, what they got from a variety of guys. So, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a tougher thing when, when the, the defense is not spread as thin. And so when Irving went out on top of Harden, uh, not being there, I mean, you know, the Bucks will say, well, we, we focus on ourselves and, and we can beat anybody when we're playing our game. But you don't, you don't think that if, if Middleton and, and Holiday had gone out from Milwaukee that the, the Brooklyn guys wouldn't have wouldn't appreciated that and taken advantage of it? I mean, that's exactly what the Bucks did. That's very true. One of those guys who stepped up for the Bucks today was Pat Connaughton. I think the video of him sitting on the floor, his face bloodied, looking at the referee going, what, nothing? Nothing? Do you, can you get a look at me? Uh, the crowd went crazy for him when he came back into the game after he got <laughs> all stitched up. Uh, he is one of those, pardon the pun, blood and guts type players that Milwaukee needs. And when they get a contribution from, like they did today, they can be a, a really tough team. Well, as long as they're able to play that way. I mean, I think that, that Connaughton's bloody eye, if that was a, um, a price paid for being able to play as physically as the Bucks did, and I'm thinking primarily of P.J. Tucker in his defense of uh, Kevin Durant, it's like, okay, you better, take, you better take a gashed eye for the team. If they let that go, that means they're letting a lot of things that Tucker, um, you know, was doing. I, I, you know, I, if, if you know, Steve Nash after the game called it a borderline non-basketball physical play, you know, and if that was a defensive back and a wide receiver, you'd have seen a flurry of uh, yellow flags the way Tucker was, was making contact constantly with uh, Durant without picking up fouls. I thought that, you know, a sign of the box score of, of how, how different Milwaukee played from earlier in the series was they had a bunch of guys with three, four, and five fouls. Nobody fouled out, but at least they were using their fouls, and they have to do that, particularly with a guy like Durant, who otherwise, I mean, if you, if you, if you don't pester him uh, physically, I and mean, he's just going to rise up and shoot over you and, and more often than not make those shots. 
Now, Durant finished with 28 and 13 boards, and those are pretty good numbers. But he did just make one of eight from three, which is not really his bread and butter, maybe forced a couple today. Uh, do, do you think the fact that his personal bodyguard was not there? Remember the net security staff who got out onto the floor rather quickly the last game and got uh, booted from the arena for today because he got out onto the floor. Do you think that was in the back of Durant's mind? <laughs> I don't know about that. I thought maybe that guy pulled the fire alarm at the very end of the evening when uh, <laughs> when they had to evacuate the building. He just wanted to mess with people. But, um, no, I, I just think that when, when Durant became the full focus of, of Milwaukee's defense and the way P.J. Tucker played and was permitted to play with the officiating, um, you know, that made it tough. He, he had a – you know, the last couple of games he's had um, – not, very inefficient uh, shooting nights and, and compared to the first two games in Brooklyn. So, um, no, he was made uncomfortable. And, and, and Milwaukee has to be able to do that every game if they think, you know, if they're going to win four uh, in this series. So we'll see, what, we'll see what happens when this thing shifts back to the Barclays Center. Barclays Center being my next question. The Nets finished 28-8. and eight. At home this year during the regular season, only the Sixers better in the conference at 29-7, and seven, and only the Jazz uh, better as well. So they, got, they had the uh, third best home record in the regular season, and oh, by the way, they are 5-0 and oh in the postseason at home here. How big a home court advantage is Barkley for the Nets? You know what? I think I think all that stuff is sort of incidental at this point. I mean, this was such a, a, a you know a different kind of season. I mean, you you had home court advantage even though you didn't have home crowds, and you know the, the way teams traveled and had to deal with the safety protocols. Um, now you're locked in a, in a you know a seven game series that's down to potentially three. Um, the Bucks have been there. They spent several days there. Uh, they're familiar with the with the surroundings and the crowd. I, I just I don't think home court is going to matter that much at this point. Um, okay. You know, so uh, I think it's just going to be now. If if you have a different officials, you know, different group of officials, and they're they're calling things differently, that will matter a lot. But um, I don't I don't expect it to be based on the building. Fair enough. We're talking to uh, Steve Ashburner from NBA.com here with us on CBS Sports Radio. All right, jump to the other series in the East. Sixers get beat game one of this series against the Hawks. Hawks rode the momentum of their win over the Knicks into Philly and punched them in the mouth in the first half up by 20 points. Yeah, Philly made a late run playing full court defense, but they came up short. And it gave you pause if you were of the belief that, all right, well, you just got to get through the Hawks, then you get the real series against either the Nets or the Bucks. But to the Sixers' credit, they answered two games in a row, first at home and then game three the other night in Atlanta, getting big leads and uh, keeping the Hawks at bay and keeping Trey Turner in the human category because he had been above and beyond that against the Knicks in the first game against the Sixers. Uh, how much credit does Doc Rivers get for the adjustment he made after the clunker in game one against Atlanta? Uh, you know, I guess you make adjustments in a playoff series, and that's fine. And, and Doc does a good job, and he deserves some of the credit for, for Philadelphia's um, performance all year and now lead in this series. I just think this whole series swings on, on Joel Embiid's uh, knee. And if he's True. able to play – efficiently, effectively with, you know, torn meniscus in, in a knee, 
then I think Philadelphia is, is great. And for as long as he's able to do that, um, I think they're the favorite in the, uh, in the Eastern Conference. That's just my opinion. But if, if Embiid has to miss time, if he ends up uh, playing poorly because of uh, discomfort in that knee, if he's not able to manage that injury for the rest of, you know, however long the Sixers are alive, then, you know, I think this series or any subsequent series Philadelphia plays could become a problem for them. And all it takes is one really bad step, but I've watched every uh, dribble and possession of that series so far only once in the three games. He came down a little awkwardly on one shot, and he kind of grimaced, and he moved slowly up the floor. But that's not bad. You're playing with a torn meniscus, and he's only looked slowed for maybe one possession (laughs) in three games. Otherwise, chalk him up 35-plus game in and game out. I'd say he's doing okay with a torn meniscus. I'm I'm sure his teammates and coaches and front office and fans Probably had their hearts in their throat, though, if they if they caught that moment like you did. Yeah, it was only one, and he got back into this uh, the swing of play pretty well. And uh, Ben Simmons, while he is the most chastised player in Philadelphia, any sport, as a matter of fact, because he just can't shoot, uh, be it from three-point land or 18 feet or 15 feet with no one in front of him at the foul line, he does do everything else. Now, Doc Rivers bends over backwards to defend him and say, why yeah. can't we just celebrate what he's good at, which just makes it even worse. The fans come down on him even harder. But Doc is actually speaking the truth because Simmons does bring a lot to the table. Shooting is just not one of those things, and he really has been the difference on Trey Young going from the dominating, uh, unbelievable first half, half he had in game one to just a very good player the last two-plus games. Yeah, I do think people probably overreact to his um, uh, his inconsistent scoring and his difficulty shooting. I think he brings some of that on himself by being kind of defiant about that aspect of his game and, and not just sort of humbly, you know, saying, yeah, I got to work on that. I got to work harder. We had a short off season, whatever. He just seems to resent being criticized for that sort of thing. And, and uh but he did finish second in defensive player of the year. And, yep. and you know, his versatility allows him to, um, you know, take out any particular player at any point that um, when Rivers wants to uh, to focus on, on a guy. And I just, you know, this, this uh, Trey Young-Simmons thing just it reminds me of when uh, the Chicago Bulls, because you know, I was based in Chicago quite a while, and when Derrick Rose was healthy, um, he could do whatever he wanted for three, three and a half quarters. But if they were facing LeBron James in a playoff series, LeBron would switch on to Rose, and that was that. You know, and and I think Simmons has that sort of ability at multiple positions to uh, to do that. So, you know, being being the top pick like that, I'm I'm sure people get frustrated. They want to see excellence in all areas and can't abide in a three point dominant league a guy who doesn't even, you know, try to get better, it seems, in, in that area. But he does do a lot of other things. Uh, I'm sure Doc is just sort of trying to show the player he has his back and maintain, yep. you know, good rapport. Um, but, you know, you'd find a lot of teams and a lot of coaches would be thrilled to have Ben Simmons, whether he scored or not. Very true. Uh, we're talking to our buddy Steve Ashburner from NBA.com here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, Clips get the big win last night. If not, they go down 3-0, and we know what happens to 3-0 teams. They never win in the NBA. Did they just stave off elimination, or did they make this an actual series? 
Well, the Clippers are, um, you know, they're starting to make a habit of this uh, O2 hole. And, um, <laughs> you know, we'll see if they can, they can pull this off. I guess Denver last year was able to survive, you know, uh, you know, two loss starts to, to a couple playoff series in the same postseason, and, uh, and move, you know, continue to play. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, Utah is the better team. I think that, um, you know, Utah still can, can totally change that series by winning game four. It's, um, I don't, I don't see anything that, that, you'd say, well, the the Jazz can't adapt to that. And if they can get Mike Conley back, I think that that, um, that, that sort of propels them to, you know, the sort of level they played at during the regular season. So um, this might have been one where the Clippers dare not have lost that game because that would have been miserable, right? I mean, nobody comes back from 03. So nope. now they save face. We'll see. Even if they, even if they, they push this to two and two, um, uh, you know, I think, I think Utah is a superior team and, and we'll be able to, as, as they game plan, you know, over the course of multiple games, we'll be able to, you know, shut off at least some of the options like Reggie Jackson as this goes deeper. All right. couple of quick uh, outside the playoff NBA uh, notes to fire at you. I see that Pat Riley got uh, fined for making remarks about LeBron James that he said, uh, well, if LeBron wanted to come back, I'd leave a key under the map for him. And the NBA hit him 25 G's just because you can't tamper with players. Uh, do, do they actually pay those fines? Will will the I know he was he was on the Dan Lebertard show and Lebertard said if you get fined I'll pay the fine and I think Lebertard's doing oh, well, well enough that he could probably pay it but do they do yeah. they actually uh, send checks do they actually make them pay stuff for stuff like that because you could tell this was a joke but I guess they have to do it because when do you draw the line what's a joke what's not a joke when someone is actually tampering you don't want to give them press and hey you didn't uh, find this guy. But I, I heard Riley's quote. I laughed when I heard it, and then I found out he was fined, and I said, come on, the NBA can't really do this, can they? Do they? Well, sure. I mean, and, and in that case, they had to come through with something because they had just fined the Sixers and Daryl Morey uh, money for, for tampering. I, he tweeted something related to Steph Curry. Steph Curry, and, yeah. You know, sort of enticing him to come join his brother Seth. And so you can't, there has to be some sense of consistency. It cost Maury and the Sixers each 75 grand, I think. So, yeah. you know, you, you know, Riley got off cheap or Levitar got off cheap uh, with 25 grand, but you have to have, yeah, you can't have the president of, a, of an organization, you know, talking about somebody else's player who's under contract as a potential to come join your club. It's just, you know, that, that, don't have tampering rules at all if you're going to do that. And right now, I mean, the tampering rules are kind of um, limited in their in their um, application and enforcement. Uh, players can do whatever they want, it seems. And right. then, um, you know, whereas front office and coaches and, and such uh, cannot. So, or they can, but they get fined. And then the fines, as I understand it, the league and teams generally, fines are, are dispersed to, like, charities and things i mean yeah, uh, you know, uh organizations so it's not like uh you know adam silver gets to buy a new uh a new uh, automobile because he's got money doesn't get a beamer out of the deal it goes to that's a good thing then you are correct all right last thing um 
I've seen a couple of places report this, that uh, the Blazers is now looking for a new head coach uh, after they released uh, Terry Stotts from that responsibility after getting picked off in the first round. Um, their star player came out and mentioned the name Jason Kidd shortly thereafter, but it uh, didn't take long for Jason Kidd to say, yeah, no, I don't think I see myself in Portland as a fit. Um, a couple of names have sur- surfaced, two of which are the first time that I've heard this. Becky Hammond and Dawn Staley, two potential female first head coaches in the National Basketball Association. But I've also seen uh, uh, Chauncey Billups' name uh, being thrown out there, and uh, he has done a nice job since joining the Clippers staff. What direction do you think the Clips are going? Uh, the Blazers are going in. Well, it's hard to know at this stage. I mean, you've got what four openings at the moment with Orlando, Indiana, Boston, and Portland. And, you know, so you're going to see six, seven, eight names that are going to be mentioned, you know, for multiple jobs that are, that are available right now. And some of the guys that are, that are loose, well, you know, a guy like Steve Clifford might be, might pop up in Indiana. Um, I don't know. I was, uh, I thought it was a little awkward, the whole Jason Kidd thing. If Damian Lillard is, is uh, singing his praises and, and Kidd is saying, ah, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, I wonder if he has his eye on, on some other job, you know, uh, kid hasn't always required that a job be open before he starts to lobby for it behind the scenes. So um, I don't know. I, I, you know, some team is going to take a chance and hire a, a female head coach and, you know, be first in that, in that way. Um, and I don't see any compelling reason that any team shouldn't, I, I guess just from, Oh, a confidence or familiarity or preparing your fan base for, you know, what would still be a a, uh, bold move. It's almost as if, you know, Becky Hammond would would be a more natural choice to succeed Greg Popovich, for instance. You know, somewhere where there's already somebody on staff and and people are really comfortable with that. You know, I mean... I don't think you hire you hire for the best coach you can possibly have and it'll get the most out of your players and make your players feel that they're getting helped by that person. Um, so whether fans agree with the, the look or the, 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 the marketing aspect of it or anything else that people might want to raise about why a team would do that, you know, here and now, I, I you know, I, I think that it comes down to basketball, but, um, you know, I think a team reaching onto another team's bench. Um, some of these teams are, you know, pretty haughty, and they want they want somebody with head coaching experience, and that eliminates any female because there hasn't been one yet in the league. So, um, I guess I just have always thought that if if you know when not if when a female uh, becomes a head coach in the NBA, she would have served on that particular team's bench already. And, and, you know, even in a, like an interim situation with a mid-season coaching change or something, that might be a, uh, you know, a more natural way to introduce it. But, but maybe somebody will, you know, take the plunge and, and go for that hire because they think that that's the best available coach. And, you know, I would, I would love to see whoever it is um, do well. And, oh, by the way, uh, we don't ever count on Popovich. If you're making a case for Becky, I'm going to step in there, which I think a good case could be made. I just get the feeling that Popovich is going to coach until he's 112. But that's me. Maybe I'm a little <laughs> bit off on that. You mean he's not yet? 
Oh. <laughs> oh, back-to-back jokes. I like it. Steve, thank you for topping me there. We appreciate you topping off all our NBA knowledge. We will get you back on again soon enough, bud. Thanks. You got it, Jody. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.